Hey guys, will you uh, pray with me real quick? Heavenly Father, God, we uh, come this morning just renewed um, in a new season. And Father, we thank you just for the opportunity to start it off by worshiping you. And Lord, we just welcome you here this morning. We welcome you into your house. And uh, Father, we pray that the words that are on our mouths this morning and uh, Father, the worship that's in our hearts would live out through this day. Uh, we offer you all the praise and glory this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Yeah, yeah, take a seat. If you haven't got your breakfast, grab some or take the guys next to you. Okay, we're going to get started this morning with a brand new series. If you came back expecting that we were going to continue the book of James, I hope you're not going to be disappointed. Because we're going to actually be starting a new series called I Am Man. And we are, we've been asked by uh, Ted to coordinate our series with the fall campaign. Most of you know by now, if you go to Christ Chapel, that every fall we do a, what's called an all-church spiritual alignment campaign. Ted will uh, preach a series from the pulpit. Our small groups will study it at home during the week. And... Uh, all of our ministries are now coming alongside. Women's ministry is doing a study uh, based on the same topic. We're doing one in men's ministry. Children's ministry is doing it. Our student ministries is doing it. And also our singles ministry is doing it. The fall campaign starts the 28th of this month. And it's called Image is Everything. And it's going to be a, a look at what it means to be a biblical man and woman. What does the Bible say about manhood? What does the Bible say about womanhood? And so we're going to be unpacking that over the next weeks. It starts the 28th. If you are not in a small group, let me encourage you to get in a small group, and you can do that at any time, either online. You can uh, talk to Cody McQueen. Uh, We we, uh, want everybody in our fellowship in a small group during the length of this campaign. Starts the 28th, and it'll run for eight consecutive weeks. Uh, So that's the series. We're going to be kind of walking alongside it. We're actually starting a little bit earlier, and we're going to unpack what it means to be a man, what it means to be a man of God. The key passage for the series that Ted's going to be doing is from this passage in Genesis chapter 1, and it's verse 27. It says, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. This is the key verse, and it's Interesting that we've all read this verse, we've heard sermons on this verse, um, but what does it really mean? What is it saying? What is the impact of it? The, the real key phrase in here, and it's where we're getting the, the name of the campaign we're starting on the 28th, is image is everything. Well, whose image? Whose image? Well, according to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it's God's image. We are made in His image. And so we're going to be looking both in the fall campaign and in this series every Wednesday morning, what does it mean to be a man made in the image of God? What does it mean to be a man made in the image of God? And how should that impact the way you and I live our lives? So we're going to unpack that in the time that we have together over the next weeks. You know, we see that in his image, chapter 1, verse 27 says, both man and woman were made in his image. Not just the man, 
and not just the woman, but man and woman together were made in his image. And the thing you're going to hear over and over again is that together man and woman mirror the image of God. Not just in marriage, but man and woman together mirror the image of God. We are his representatives, so to speak. And we're going to look at that and what does that mean for everyday life. If you look at the Hebrew word for image in that passage, it means image, likeness, or resemblance. It's a representative figure. So when it says you are his image, you are made in his image, you are his likeness, you are his representation. So when people look at you, what should they see? Not you, the businessman, not you, the father, not you, the husband, not you, the single guy, but they should see God. You are the image or representation of God on this earth. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 7, it says this, man is the image and glory of God. And in this verse, it's talking about male, you and me, guys. We are made to be the image and glory of God. That's pretty significant when you think about it, that we are to reflect his image, we are to be his image, we are to bear his image, we are to look like him and represent him here on this earth. The Greek word in this passage means the image of one. It's the reflection of one. It's one in whom the likeness of anyone is seen. You know, some people may say, your son looks just like you. Uh, they may say of your daughter, she looks just like your wife. Um, in my family, if they say they look like me, it's usually a curse. Um, you look just like your dad. Maybe you'll grow out of it. Um, we are to look like someone. We are to look like God. We're to represent him. We're to mirror his image in everything that we do. So an image, this whole idea of image is that we resemble or represent what we picture. It's like looking in a mirror. If you look in a mirror, and many of you probably did this morning, and it wasn't a pretty sight, was it? Uh, first thing in the morning, if you look in the mirror, it's usually not too good. But what you see is what you get. It's what you are. You know, we don't have magic mirrors, do we? I would love to look in the mirror and see myself 20 pounds lighter and 30, 30 years younger with a lot more hair. But that's not what I see when I look in the mirror. What I see is what's actually there. So what do people see when they look at you? Whose image are you bearing? Just like that mirror. Again, you look in the mirror in the morning and sometimes you like what you see, sometimes you hate what you see. But it, all it does is reflect the truth. It just shows you what you look like. You can turn down the lights and you may look better for a while, but it doesn't change reality. So whose image are you bearing? You and I are to be his image bearers. As we walk around this earth, as we go through our daily lives, we're to bear the image of God in everything that we do. We've talked about this for years as men here on Wednesday mornings. But over these next weeks, I, hope, I really hope it'll bear down that this is really what it's all about. We are to bear his image in everything that we do, not just when we come to church. We're to reflect the image of God to the world around us. How do people see God in this world? They see God through you. Now, I don't understand why God did it that way, but that's what he chose. They can see God in creation, but they don't see the exact image of God. They don't see the pure reflection of God just in creation as much as they see it in men and women 
who truly reflect his glory and his honor. So we're to bear his image. We're to reflect it. It's what man was created to do. That's what this passage said, Genesis 1, chapter, 20, chapter 1, verse 27. Made in his image. That's what we were created to do. But what happened? We all know the story, right? The fall. Adam and Eve had it great, but somehow thought that they could have it better. The fall took place, and that changed everything. It screwed everything up, and it really did throw a monkey wrench into the whole situation because everything changed. And Ted's going to unpack that as he goes through a sermon series about what happened because of the fall. How did it affect man? How did it affect woman? How did it affect creation? And how does it affect us today as believers who live in 21st century America? The fall had amazing impact on every single one of us. And the biggest thing that happened was is it totally distorted the image of God. When Adam and Eve were created, if they had stayed sinless, they would have been the perfect reflection of God. But they sinned. And now when people look at you and I, when they look at men and women, both saved and unsaved, what they see is a distortion. You're going to see over the next few weeks uh, in the great room, and you're going to see them up on the platform, uh, funhouse mirrors. And those funhouse mirrors are going to be representative of the, the way we distort the image of God to the world around us. We do not look like what we should look like. And so when the world looks at us and when the world looks at mankind and womankind, they, they see a really bad reflection. They don't see the truth. They see distortion. Just like when you look in a funhouse mirror, it may make you look tall. It may make you look skinny. It may make you look fat. It may... It is a distortion of reality. And so that's what the fall has done. It's distorted the truth. And this is what we end up looking like. People look at us, and even in the church today, they look at the church and they don't see truth oftentimes in our lives. They see just as much distortion in our lives as they see in somebody who doesn't know God at all. And we claim to be something and we claim to have a relationship with God, but they look at us and they go, man, you don't look right. You don't really seem to reflect God to me. And the reality is and the truth is they're right. So how do we change that? How do you and I begin to bear his image in the correct way, in the right way? So here's going to be our goal over the next weeks. We want to discover what it means to be a real man, a real man. And the truth is there are so many different stereotypes out there for manhood, that, and most of them are totally screwed up. Um, they're so false. They're so fake. And we have spent our lives trying to figure out what it means to be a man. So we want to unpack what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a man of God. And, that, you know, it's a joke out there. We have become jokes to everybody. And it doesn't take much to look at the, the media, to look at how we're portrayed on TV. I mean, we have become a laughingstock as men. You know, how many role models do you find on TV? Not a whole lot. You see just the opposite. You see things like, you know, American Dad. Have you ever watched this show? Not only is it trash in terms of the content, it's not funny, but the dad is portrayed as just a buffoon. He's just, he's got nothing going for him. He, he is totally a loser. But this is how dads are portrayed. 
How about Hank Hill? You know, really classy guy. You know, not only does he make dads look bad, he makes dads from Texas look really bad. Um, just not what I want to think of when I think of a, of a dad, of a man. Then there's Homer. Homer Simpson. I hate to admit it, but this, this show is funny. Um, but man, what a, what a portrayal of men. I mean, just look at the size of his brain. Um, he's, he's just a dim-witted fool who happens to be a dad. Uh, happens to be a husband, but he's not a very good one. Totally self-absorbed, to- totally self-centered, and just doesn't have a brain cell in his body. That's how we're portrayed. Then there's the Family Guy, another cl- really classy show. Um, another dad who's you know really portrayed as a, a icon of virtue. Uh, a dad who's got nothing going for him. To give you an idea of some some of what gets portrayed in this show is you know this is. One of the uh, one of the shows they had. I'm not going to tell you the content of the show, but it didn't take much to imagine. I mean, this is, this is how dads get portrayed on TV. Not a pretty picture. Not just dads, but men in general, guys in general. These are some actual bumper stickers that I I, I assume women put on their cars. I hope we don't. But all men are animals. Just some make better pets. Uh, that's how we're thought of, guys. That's what women think of us. Grow your own dope, plant a man. I mean, these are real bumper stickers. How about this one? Women who seek to be equal to men lack ambition. That is what we're thought of in many people's minds, many women's lives. All men are idiots. I married their king. Man, wouldn't you hate to go out one day and see it on the back of your wife's car? I mean, just, I'd have it off pretty quick or I'd sell her car. We are portrayed as really idiots and buffoons. The, the media loves to portray us that way. Again, try to think how many, how many shows are out there that portray us as really quality guys. You know, The Father Knows Best is not on TV anymore. That kind of show doesn't exist. The wise, caring, loving, caring father, we don't exist anymore. The faithful husband doesn't exist anymore. The guy who's got guts doesn't exist anymore. So if you look to the media for what a real man looks like, it ain't out there. Or if you look to the movies, what you get is this stereotypical macho guy, but is that really what God had in mind? Does that bear the image of God? We're the laughing stock in a way to our culture. So we've become the butt of jokes. We're not necessarily that well-respected. We're not really thought that highly of. Um, kids have kind of been raised to think of dads as just like that commercial showed that if dad tries to help you with your homework, you know, mom, please get him out of the room. Um, we don't have a whole lot to offer. And part of that we're responsible for. We've kind of created that to a degree. Some of it the media has created. Some of it culture has created. But the bottom line is, are you and I reflecting the image of God? These are some... Uh, jokes that I ran across to give you just a little bit more of a flavor for what's going on out there. What do you call a handcuffed man? Trustworthy. These, these, are, these are jokes from a women's website. Okay, this, Again, this is what women think of us. What does it mean when a man is in your bed gasping for breath and calling your name? You didn't hold the pillow down long enough. I mean, I don't find it funny, but women do. This is a Highly popular website for women. And these are jokes about you and I. Why do only 10% of all men make it to heaven? 
Because if they all win, it would be hell. That stings a little bit. I don't know about you. How do you get a man to stop biting his nails, make him wear shoes? You think that's funny? Somebody does. What did God say after creating man? I can do so much better. So he creates women. What's the difference between Bigfoot and an intelligent man? Bigfoot has been spotted several times. What should you give a man who has everything? A woman, a woman to show him how to work it. See, guys, this is how you and I are portrayed out there. What do you call a man with half a brain? Gifted. Gifted. Pretty sad. What's the smartest thing a man can say? My wife says. My wife says. And then how many men does it take to screw in a light bulb? One. He just holds it up there and waits for the world to revolve around him. Do you see the sarcasm? Do you see the hidden feelings that are in these jokes? That there's some frustration out there on the part of a lot of women. There are women in our culture, there are women in this church who are a little frustrated with manhood. And some of them are frustrated with our manhood, our leadership, our ability to live out godliness the way God intended, to bear the image of God. There are kids out there who want to see dads bear the image of God. They want to know what God looks like. They want to know how does God respond in certain situations. And they're looking to you and I. There are single women who are looking for single men who reflect the image of God, not the image of this world. And their frustration is reflected in some of these jokes. Our lack of leadership, our lack of intelligence, our lack of sensitivity. It really just shows that there's something missing in our lives as men, especially as Christian men. Yet you and I, according to Genesis 1.27, are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God. So what happened? What's gone wrong? Why is there a distorted image out there? Why do women not respect men? Why does the media feel like they have to lampoon every guy? Why isn't there a good picture of a good dad on any TV show that I know of? Why? Part of it is that we're not bearing the image of God. We are not bearing the image of God. So what do we need to look to to find out what a real man looks like? Well, We're going to look over the next few weeks at the best example that I can think of, and I'll share you with that in a minute, of what it really means to be a man. But let's wrap this up with just a question. What's happened to manhood? Uh, We have to admit that oftentimes we're a really sad reflection of what God intended. Uh, I don't think, as as God looks down on our society and he he goes, man, that's, that's exactly what I had in mind. You know, what that guy's doing is exactly what I had in mind. That's what I meant when I said reflect my image. I think he must look down oftentimes and go, not exactly my idea. Something happened. So what's happened? Again, 1 Corinthians 11:7. man is the image and glory of God. That means you and I, we are his image and his glory. Are we? Are we really? Are we reflecting that image? Do we bring him glory? How many of us really do that on a daily basis in our marriages, in our work, with our kids, with our friends, relationships? Do we really reflect his glory? Do we really image him, reflect him? When people see us, do they see God? If not, what do they see? What do they see? 
The truth for me is that a lot of us, including myself, we distort the image of God. We distort it. So how do we do that? Well, when your kids look at you sometimes and they, you react to them in a certain way and you are the authority figure in their life and yet you're an angry man or you are a, an absent man, they think that must be God. That must be what God is like. You know, a lot of guys in this room, we have a bad idea of God because we have a bad relationship with our fathers, our earthly fathers. So think about it. If you did, how about your kids? How about your friends around you, your peers? When they look at you, do they really think about God? Do they even see God? Do they even, does it even come into their mind? What do people see? Do you distort his image? Even as Christians, guys... And I'm, I'm making a, probably a bad assumption. I'm assuming we're all Christians here in this room. But even as Christians, we live out a twisted view of manhood. The world looks at the church, and the, if anything, they ought to be able to look into the church and say, that's a real man. That's what a man should be like. But they don't necessarily see truth. They don't necessarily see reality. They see the funhouse mirror. They see the distortion, not the reality, not truth. Now, here's, here's some things that I think they see, and it's true in the church just like it's true out in the world. They see more of an emphasis about success than servanthood, more about success than servanthood. We want to succeed, not necessarily serve. I want to make it to the top. I want to be in control. We value power but reject meekness, and meekness is power under control. It's power under control, but you know what? I don't want... I don't want power. I just want power. I don't want to have to control it. I want to be large and in charge. That's what they see. Even in the church, we put more stock in intelligence than integrity. Man, that guy is sharp. Now, he cheats, but he does it really well. Intelligence over integrity. And again, I want you to think in terms of what do your, what do your friends see? What do your wives see? What do your children see when they look at you? Do they see you valuing one of these over the other? Because if you are, you're not adequately reflecting the image of God. We fail to see the difference between toughness and courage. You know, the world is all about toughness when it comes to guys. Even some of the books in Christian writing that have come out recently are all about manhood. They're all about, you know, machoism and and being tough. But we leave out courage courage in the face of adversity. It's not just about being tough. It's courage in the tough times. It's courage to do the right thing. It's courage to stand up to your son who you've just chewed out and say, you know what? I was totally wrong. Will you forgive me? I made a mistake. See, there's a difference between toughness and courage. I want my son to be tough, but you know what? I want him to have courage. I want him to stand up for what's right. Stand up for the kingdom of God. We sometimes pursue honor over humility. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be known as humble. We want to be honored. We want to be lifted up. We want to be esteemed. Even in the church, we want positions of honor. When in reality, we're to serve. We're to be behind the scenes. We're to be last, not first. We're to put others ahead of ourselves. We prefer oftentimes getting over giving. It's all about me. Hey, honey, how can you serve me today? Hey, kids, what, what can you do? What have you done for me lately? It's all about getting, not giving. We'd rather enjoy women than respect them. 
This goes for married guys. This goes for single guys. And again, what's in it for me? What could she do for me? Man, I like looking at her. Um, I like what she brings for me. I like the pleasure she, I like the things she does for me. But what about respecting her for who she is? Respecting women in this church. And guys, you know what? In this church, and we've talked about this before, if you have a pulse, if you can fog up a mirror, and you walk through the halls of this church on a typical Sunday, you will see women of all kinds dressed all kinds of ways. And if you have a pulse, and if you are truly male, you will lust. If not, come talk to me. Do you respect those women? See, how we look at other women who are not our wives or not our girlfriend, how we look at them and what we think about them is respecting them or not respecting them. The thoughts that go through our mind, if not appropriate, are disrespectful. See, this isn't just about marriage. This is about your relationship with every female in your life, your daughters, your co-workers, your friends' wives, your wife if you have one. It's about men and women reflecting the image of God. So what are unmanly men like? Unmanly men. A steady diet of what the world says has really turned manhood into inauthentic manhood. Fake men, wrong men, false men, the wrong thing, a blurred picture of what we should be. And here's some characterizations of these men. And guys, this is all a setup from... This point forward, everything we're going to look at is going to be the positive side of what it means to be a man. But we cannot start there until we look at what reality is. Here's some of the characterizations of an unmanly man. He's controlling. i got to be in control. He manipulates his family, his friends. He's got to be in charge. He controls conversations. You know how we do this? It's just like last night. I'm driving in the car with my wife. It's been a long week. I'm really tired. We're going to an event, and I do not want to talk. I'm talked out. I control the conversation by just not having one. But my wife wanted to talk. See, we want to be in charge, and I just you know, turn on the radio, and I send all the messages. Don't want to talk. We control. We avoid whatever we're not sure we can handle. I don't think I can do that, so I just won't do it. We only do what we think we can succeed at. That's a controlling issue. That's what unmanly men do. We work hard to achieve, and we maintain this position at the top because we want to be in charge. So we, we, we bust our cans to do it. We work so hard at work. We work so hard to make money, and there's nothing wrong with that. But do you work just as hard at your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your friends, your leadership, here in the church. He's also destructive. His words and actions harm people. They hurt. The things we say hurt. You've probably been in a small group where there's couples and some guy says something really derogatory to his wife. Hopefully it's not you. Really demeaning or just kind of cutting and sarcastic. We hurt. We say things to our kids that hurt, that destroy. Can't you do anything right? You'll never measure up. You know, some, some guy, dads even say, you know, you're so stupid to their kids. Cutting, destructive, harmful. We make those around us feel used. You're only here for my benefit. Go mow the yard. Take out the trash. Clean your room. 
it's destructive, it's harmful, and we wonder why our kids sometimes get screwed up. This kind of guy is indifferent. He's aloof. He doesn't really care about people. He only cares about what they can do for him. He's destructive. And then inherently they're selfish. Unmanly men are selfish. He's committed more to himself than to anyone else. If you, if you look at these shows on TV, you know, whether it's you know, Homer or American Dad or any of these dads are totally self-absorbed, narcissistic guys. It's all about them. It's about food. It's about sex. It's about fun. It's about pleasure. It's all about me. He, he's totally, it's the world is all of, around me. His wife exists only for his pleasure, to cook him food, to have sex. His friends only exist for his pleasure. See, that's what this unmanly man ends up being. And guys, if, if, the, if you boil it all down to it, he's powerless. Most of these guys, the reason men act the way they do and the way we're joked about the way we are is because we feel powerless oftentimes. And so we compensate. We commit ourselves to controlling something. That's why we pour ourselves into our work. That's why we, we get so absorbed into sports and hobbies. We want to control something because in, inherently we feel kind of powerless and we can become aggressive. We can, we can lash out. Now, this may not be you, but it may be. These are the characteristics of an unmanly man. He gets angry. Anybody in here besides me ever get angry? I met your kids, maybe at your wife, at situations, at life. You just get angry. And you know what? We say it's okay. I have a right to get angry. I have a right to get mad at my son when he didn't take, my, take care of my tools. I get, I get a right to get mad at my son when I go out, and he was supposed to take the trash out, and he didn't, and I'm late for work. I have a right to get mad when my wife doesn't have dinner ready or my daughter doesn't do X. Or, I have a right to get angry. And we persuade ourselves that it's right, and so we become abusive. And the reality is that is taking place in this church on a regular basis in marriage after marriage after marriage. Abusive men who are just kind of angry and they think they have a right and they mistreat their families, they mistreat their kids, they mistreat their employees. They're abusive. And these guys live with a sense of terror. What do I mean by that? They really feel like they're stuck. There's no way of escape. I don't know what to do. And they're, they're begging for relief. They want some kind of relief, so what do they do? But they become addicted. That's why men oftentimes become addicted to alcohol, pornography. Why do we do any of those things? As a form of relief. It makes us feel better. It takes the pain away. It takes the fear away. That's what unmanly men do. Well, what about a manly man? An authentic man? A real man? This kind of guy feels strong. He feels powerful, not powerless, but in a positive way. He's active, not just aggressive. He's doing things about his relationships. He's doing things about his walk with God. I am so glad every one of you are here this morning. I really am. I hope you'll come back next week. Why? So that you will take action and be active about your walk with the Lord and your relationships with other men. We have got to become more active about this, guys. That's what an, a manly man does. He, he knows that his calling is to reflect God, and it compels him to go deeper, to grow, to know that he can do things the right way and that his hope is in the Lord. That's where his power comes from. He's active about it. 
A manly man experiences peace, not rage. He's not angry. He's got a peace in his life. He's, he's a gentle man, not, but not weak. See, we think meekness is weakness, but it's power under control. The best example, and I've shared it with you before, is that of, it's a horse. A horse, as far as I know, is more powerful than I am. My, my little uh, 12-year-old daughter rides horses, and she'll get out there in these horses that weigh hundreds and hundreds of pounds more than she does. And that horse could do anything to her at any time, but it stays under control. It's power under control. It allows her to ride him. That's what it means to be meek. It's power under control. It doesn't mean you're weak, but you're willing to control your power and use it for good, the good of your kids, the good of your friends, the good of your coworkers, the good of your community. And finally, a manly man lives with a sense of freedom. Freedom. He's purposeful. And he's not controlled by addictions. I don't have to be addicted to anything, whether it's pornography, the TV, work, my hobbies, alcohol, anger. I'm free. I'm free to do the right things. I know what I'm created to be, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to contribute positively to this community, to this church, to my family, to this city. I'm free. So what's the point of all this as we wrap it up? Where do you and I go to learn about authentic men? I have spent the summer looking at this topic, working on the fall campaign, reading book after book after book, looking into the scriptures, and here's the bottom line. There are not a lot of biblical examples of a godly man. I mean, you got your Daniels, you got your Josephs, you got a few isolated guys, but most of them had as many foibles as they had positive traits. So where do you look? Where do we learn? Where do we turn to discover the secret of what true biblical manhood looks like? Because every guy I find in Scripture, except for a few, had more flaws than I seem to have. So where do I turn to? How do I begin, and how do you begin to accurately reflect the image of God? Well, where we're going to look is we're going to look to the perfect man of God. We are going to look at Jesus Christ himself. And so over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ, who was 100% man, 100% God. He was a living, breathing man who walked this earth, ate, drank, slept, was tempted just like you and I. He was a man, and yet he was the perfect man. How did he do it? What kind of characteristics were in his life? How did he relate to women? How did he relate to his society? How did he relate to the government? So we're going to look at Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.15 says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature. So if I want to go look at what man should look like, I'm going to look at Him. I'm going to look at His life. And so we're going to unpack the life of Jesus Christ over the next weeks ahead. And I'll close with this quote. Larry Crabb in his book, The Silence of Adam, if you haven't read it, it's a great book. He says this, men who learn to be fascinated more with Christ than with themselves will become the authentic men of our day, the authentic men of our day. Men of this generation must learn to count the cost of following Christ. We must feel the emptiness of our souls until no cost seems too high if it brings us into contact with him. We must resist the influence of a Christian culture that values self-discovery and self-fulfillment above abandoning ourselves to God. To put it simply, we must be more concerned with knowing Christ than with finding ourselves. 
So we're going to go to the source. We're going to go look at the life of Jesus Christ and see what he can teach us about biblical manhood. I hope you'll come back every week. I hope you'll take part in your discussions around your table. And every week, here's how we're going to end. And I hope you'll uh, take part in this. We're going to close in prayer, but you're going to close in prayer around your tables. And here's what you're going to pray for. You're not going to take prayer requests. You can do that later if you want to, but this is what we're going to pray for. This morning, I want you to close your time this way. Have a couple of the guys around your table, just one or two or three, ask God to begin the process of transforming each of you into men who will truly reflect his image. We're going to pray every week for something specific in our lives to see God begin a work. I don't want to go through the next weeks just to go through the next weeks. I don't want to do another Bible study. I want to be transformed in the image of God. I want to reflect the image of God. I want you to reflect the image of God. And if you think about it, if that were to take place with this many men, it would be revolutionary. It would be truly life-changing. And my prayer for this series that we're getting ready to do across our church is that it would transform marriages, men, women, children, this church, and this community as we learn what does it mean to reflect the image of God. So take a few minutes around your table, just pick a few guys, and you pray for the men around your table that this would begin to take place. And I'll close this in a second. Father, we... uh, We come to you this morning. We thank you for this opportunity to come together as men. May you transform every man in this room into a man who truly reflects your image. When people look at us, may they see you. May they see Christ. Father, do a work. Let it begin today. And I pray with Paul that our love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that we may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. May that happen, Father, in every, every life of every man in this room. And we thank you now for what you're going to do in the weeks ahead. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.